Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Harmon, and next to me on this wet and windy day at the Oval is Phil Walker, Wisdom Cricket Monthly's Editor-in-Chief. Hello, Phil. Hello, Joe. And Wisdom.com's Taha Hashim. Hello, Taha. Hi, Joe. So Yazrana, our regular host, who looked so fresh-faced and full of life last week after his trip to South Africa, is now consigned to his sick bed. It took just one <laughs> week back in the UK to undo all that good work. But the show goes on without him, and there is plenty to talk about this week. In South Africa, England sealed a thrilling T20 series victory by chasing down 2-2-3 at Centurion, the fourth highest successful chase in the format's history. We've got the Women's T20 World Cup starting any minute now, with hosts Australia and India opening the tournament on Friday. England will be hoping to bounce back quickly from a 10-wicket thrashing by Sri Lanka in their final warm-up match. England Lions have been in action in Australia. Dom Sibley, Keaton Jennings and Dan Lawrence all hitting centuries against the Cricket Australia 11 in Hobart. New Zealand are set to take on India in the first test at Wellington. And just in case you thought there wasn't enough cricket around, news emerged this week that the ICC have proposed two new global tournaments, effectively meaning a white ball world tournament every year and forevermore. Then, in the second part of the show, we're going to go slightly off the beaten track and discuss the England players we really wanted to succeed in international cricket, but who never quite made it for one reason or another. That's um, quite a long list on my side. <laughs> I'm aware of this, Phil. We're going to leave as much time for that as possible. Yeah, yeah. And we've had some good suggestions onto that. Uh, from followers on Twitter. Uh, first, though, uh, let's start with that run fest of a series in South Africa. Uh, Phil, I believe your mm. moment of the week came from that one. Yeah, it has to. It has to really, and and the way that Owen Morgan finished it off with fire in his eyes, mm. uh, fifty-seven from twenty-two, um, fifty-seven not out from twenty-two. It's his, it's his fifth not out as well in his last nineteen games. I've actually done a little bit wow, of stats wow. research uh, because the the impression has been that he's been batting better than ever in T Twenty mm. cricket, uh, and the numbers are bearing that out. Um, he's broken back into the top 10 in the, the T20 rankings, leapfrogged Virat as well. Um, and at 33 and a bit, Owen Morgan uh, has an eye on the double um, and is clearly putting a lot of his energies into into that tournament coming up later this year. Uh, and he's batting probably with more uh, imperious control than he's ever, ever elicited before. Um, it's reminded us, it reminded me in particular that he... What what a player he is! Often, when somebody becomes a captain, their uh, their talents with the bat get subsumed into the story of, of of what they are as a leader and all of that. And this obsession that we have with leaders uh, in cricket is such that sometimes we lose sight of just how good a player they are. And, and Morgan was the arch finisher in in the early part of the last decade when he emerged into that team as this sort of alien figure from nowhere, playing in a different way. And now now he's got that that World Cup done, his legacy assured, he's now almost freed up to demonstrate what a what, what a fine, fine, brilliant player he is. Um, he's striking 161 uh, per 100 balls uh, over the last uh, 19 games, over the last two years. Uh, and he is now in that position where he is seeing games off. Um, he was. We talked about last week. He was furious after blowing it is a bit harsh, but letting it slip in that first match, and there was just there seemed no chance that he was going to do the same thing on uh, in Centurion. Yeah, and 
it would have been terrifying for other teams watching it as well. Uh, not just what Morgan did to see it off, but what happened up top as well with Butler smashing a 50-odd. Um, uh, who else? Who else smashed 50? Besto. Brain fade, of course. Besto, yeah, was excellent at three. I think it was, they were chasing 224 and did it with basically an over to spare. And they even kind of slowed a little bit in those middle overs when Milan came in. It did make you think, what could they have actually chased there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's class of Morgan, zero four seven sixes, which is a... Which is yeah, a class it, it was a postage stamp ground um, and there was a lot of wind blowing around as well. Uh, but yeah, when he hits it as clean as that and, and it was the the processes were so obvious as well. You know, he was... He was moving outside off stump to the to the full Yorker, opening up his his shoulders and just just chipping it in effect over over square leg. Um, it was Morgan at his best, and we keep seeing it now, time after time. Um, any suggestion after the World Cup that he may just have shaken hands on the whole show? Uh, well, he's clearly not really built like that, um, and his game is as is in the kind of order that you that you would have hoped it would be at this point, 33 years old in his career. Um, he's got one more big blowout to come and maybe even more than that. And on that point, I think it's 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 funny how we've talked about Morgan for the last few years because from from that whole World Cup cycle, the 50-0 the World Cup cycle, where you just talk about Morgan, the leader, and he's kind of, there were often question marks, oh, is he, would if he was just a batsman, would he would he get in that side? Yeah. I mean, of, of course he does, really. Um, but just because of the, the way you know you had you you had Butler and and Stokes and Roy and Bairstow, Morgan sort of kind of got forgotten and he, he was just seen as that guy at the front as as the leader basically that yeah. that's his only role. Um, but it's, especially in this T20 side, the way he was batting with Stokes at the end of that third match, where you know we now see Stokes as as the main guy, but he was Stokes was obviously taking his time to get in, and it, it was Morgan who just took away all the pressure. And you know I think now we're coming to realise again. What what's been true for the last ten something years that Oh Morgan is still he's top rank exactly yeah um, thoughts on Butler Joe because obviously we spoke about this last week we don't want to go into it We're, too much but I refuse he, to go down the rabbit hole of England's batting order in T Twenty cricket sure, we're not doing that one. sure but Butler yeah but, but what it showed is that what we said that the versatility is there and if you're watching from afar be afraid I think be very afraid I, oddly I didn't think he even batted particularly well in getting what 57 of 29 balls he he wasn't at his best he wasn't anywhere near his best in terms of middling the ball he actually struggled a little bit to start with um, but he kind of got through that difficult patch and uh, and then was playing really well at the end they've got so many options I think the batting is just a case of how you place them um, the bowling mm. though there are a few more headaches I mean they, they conceded 200 in the second and third T20s. But given the pitches, would anyone have done any better? Thank I guess, I guess is, the, is the question. So in terms of, you look through those, they picked the same bowling attack in all three games, which is interesting in itself. Shows that they really want some continuity. They're not just going to try different players. Chris Jordan took four wickets, went almost 10 and over, bowling at the death predominantly. Mark Wood, four wickets, almost 12 and over. Um, I wanted to get back to it on his skills and whether he has the skills for T20 in the way that some other bowlers do. And then Tom Curran, five wickets at 11 and over. When I he's thought he bowled well. Bowling really only exclusively in the power play and at the death, I thought he bowled really well. But on Markwood, they obviously want that pace. But when Archer comes back into the side, which he surely will, does Markwood have the skills of a modern T20 bowler to be able to nail down a position in this side? He, he doesn't seem to, he doesn't have the back of the hand slower ball. His wide Yorker doesn't seem to come off if he is trying it. He seemed quite erratic in that final game. I think he could have been taken out of the attack in the first, oh, he first game as well. You're yeah, um, right. Because he just... Two beamers. Two, yeah, two beamers, basically. Got away with that. Um, exactly. And I think he got Quinton de Kock off, uh, out, off the full toss in the, in the second match. Um, yeah, I think it's a good point because I think over the last year we've seen Mark with sort of resurgence. And when you see that kind of pace, you can understand why England's sort of desperate to get him in even if it's a t20 and you're sort of looking for different types of skills um the main issue for England, i feel is just and what archer can offer them is the uh, his his skills in the power play mm. i think over the course of the three matches the only bowler to take a wicket in the power play for england was moeen ali got what got one wicket. really yeah and south africa absolutely moted in the power play exactly match, didn't they i mean de Kock was another level Bavuma bad really well as well but that's where that's where Archer has to come in because it's those first few overs where like Jordan looks brilliant at the death with his Yorker. It's it's you know, it works and Tom Curran Tom Curran's working at the death, but 
when they when they both bowl at the start, it just sort of seems out of place, really. And we know Mark Wood doesn't like bowling with a new ball because he finds it too slippery, which I think was part of the reason he, he bowled those two beamers. So it's it's he might slip away from that squad. I think particularly we've got Saki Mahmood, who they'll want to have a proper look at. Was in that squad, didn't get a game. Uh, they've got to give him a proper opportunity before the start of the World Cup in. Well, it's October, isn't it? Yeah, Saki's time will definitely come, and probably quite soon. Um, I can absolutely see what you're saying with Wood. I would just add maybe that in Australia, uh, in this tournament, the the pitches are quicker, the bounce is there, but also the boundaries are longer as well. And this might sound like a sort of Jack Anori point, but when you're bowling quick in India, when the the boundaries are 50 yards, and when you're bowling quick in those T20 games against South Africa, when the boundaries are 50 yards, it's a very, very difficult skill mm. to 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 contain as well as attack. It's very, very hard. Um, you know, half a bat, for just a block into the offside, and it runs away for four. You saw it. Bearstow hit a couple of fours off off Stain, where he's literally just lent on it, and and it's it's fizzed away. It's a thankless task, but the the task is balanced slightly or mitigated slightly, I think, by the the conditions that they would find in Australia. If Wood is going to play in this T Twenty side, then I think he would play in 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 those conditions more favourably than in any any other conditions. That said, I think Saqib, who is, you know, seven or eight years younger than Wood, um, made his name in white ball cricket. Uh, he is undoubtedly the, the coming man. Probably he has a bag of a bag of tricks which is slightly more fulsome than, than Woods and and maybe maybe the, that replacement can can t- can take place in due course. Uh, I think it's probably likely. Uh, Tom Curran his skills are outstanding. Again, he, he lacks that incisiveness maybe with the new ball in those first few overs, which, as you say, Taha, you know, Archer comes into the equation there. But at the death, he is he is outstanding. For, for an English bowler... He's got the temperament for it as well, hasn't he? Almost as much as the skills. He, he just loves that opportunity. Which... Yeah, and he gave an interview to, to Vish a few years ago when, when he, he said to Vish, in effect, I realise that, you know, I'm not out and out pace. I realise that I'm not going to... Uh, be dominating test cricket but I can be the most skillful one day bowler in the world and that's what he said to Vish two or three years ago uh, he's not there and may well never get there but for England's skill level England's seam bowling skill level I think he's he's at the top of the tree for me he's also improved with the bat massively I mean he got quite a few runs in the big bash he's made himself a really appealing cricketer to pick hasn't he mm. the, the, just in, in brackets the best slower ball uh, bowler of the series was a fellow called Dale Stain, who inexplicably is still playing cricket <laughs> yeah. uh, for South Africa. He's got this new slower ball where he opens up the fingers and rolls them slightly down the right-hand side of the ball, a slight off-cutter. But you're watching it on TV and you're, you're bamboozled yourself. See the one to Bairstow? Yeah, and Bairstow ends up kind of leaving it, part leaving it, part playing over the top of it, not really playing a shot. <laughs> uh, he did one to Stokes as well. Stokes just burst out laughing. Uh, so yeah watch out for him I think I think there's something going there <laughs> one to watch yeah <laughs> I think there should be also a mention of David Willey um, one of England's best <laughs> sort of new ball bowlers in, in yeah. T20 eyes and he's kind of harshly been discarded did we you say that because you saw him on the telly at lunchtime at the Oval did no, you no, say no, that no 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 I'm just I'm saying it because well Sam Curran didn't get a look in so we can't really talk about Sam Curran as the left arm seamer with the new mm-hmm. ball and kind of feels like Willie's disappeared. When and I well thought p- I should just mention that. Freddie yeah. Wild picked his T20 team of the decade for Wisdom.com at the back end of last year and put David Willie in that, didn't he? Which didn't go down especially well in India when I don't think Dhoni was in the side. But <laughs> Hipster's choice. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, all right, well, I think we'll talk about the men's T20 side a lot over the coming months. But more, and we have done over the last few weeks. As we have. But more imminently, we've obviously got the Women's T20 World Cup uh, about to start, or depending on when you're listening to this, it may have already started. Um, we've talked quite a bit in the last few weeks about England's chances and, and can they knock down Australia I think we'll leave that for now and just see how the matches unfold before kind of covering the same ground but Taha you wrote a piece for wisdom.com uh, this week taking us back to 2009 which was of course the inaugural tournament and also the last time England won it um, you spoke to a few of the star names involved in it what really came across what it was a very different time for, for women's cricket wasn't it yeah of course it was just like a 10-day tournament, sort of running alongside the men's thing. Um, but all the group stage matches were, were in Taunton. They only got to the Oval for the, the semis and then the final was, of course, at Lords. But yeah, just talking about how they prepared for the tournament where 
I mean, England had just won the 50-over World Cup at the start of the year. Um, and with this piece, I talked to Holly Colvin, Charlotte Edwards and, and Claire Taylor. And, you know, this is the time before full-time contracts. Um, and so <laughs> one of the first things that Holly Colvin says to me is that she won the World Cup over the winter, came back, and the first thing she did was get a, a cleaning job at her local sports club, which is just sort of phenomenal to hear. And just now you go 11 years forward and we're in a different... You know, we're just, it's a different world completely. It's Holly incredible. Colvin's an interesting one, isn't she? Because she came through very, very young. She did play quite a lot of international cricket, but retired early. And she works for the ICC, doesn't she? Yeah. I believe now. Right. And she's kind of missed missed all the bit that she... I mean, she should be... How old is she now? I think she she's could, only 30. Yeah, so she could still be yeah. in this side. Interesting. <laughs> there were a few like that, though, who simply couldn't balance it. They couldn't justify the time that cricket was taking up for no remuneration really um isha guhar is another one you know she's done okay she's since. done all right for us haven't she? yeah so don't worry about ish but and ebony as well ebony yeah this is it ebony had injuries as well but she, she, there is a there was a narrative back there that there was just no security there and and so so girls would look at it at 24 25 26 and think well i can't really justify this any longer whereas now hopefully uh the the landscape is changing and changing again from this summer onwards with more professional domestic contracts in addition to the uh the 20 odd uh, central contracts that the England England women already have so yeah different landscape entirely in in 10 short years um the, the sooner that the money discrepancies between between the men and, and women is more evenly balanced the better i would add and to quickly go back to that tournament oddly it, what the, the final wasn't really the pin, pinnacle of the tournament was it that was kind of a, an easy win against New Zealand it was the, the semi-final was the game that stuck in people's minds and really was a, a bit of a I, can say the, I can't say talk about women's cricket without using the word game changer ever it seems but in this case it really was a significant turning point for the view people had of women's cricket I think well yeah I mean it was one of the great games England chasing down 164 with you know eight wickets in the bag um, but also you can tell its influence because you did an interview with, I feel like we're just talking about each other's pieces. It's quite nice. <laughs> That's fine. But it's you, did, podcast. <laughs> yeah, you did an interview with um, Sarah Glenn and then, and she, she picked out that game as well, didn't she? As, as one that where she kind of could tell people like, this is women's cricket. This is what, what it's really about. Yeah, absolutely. And she said that. And, and obviously the women's world cup final 2017 were the two defining points in deciding that cricket was a career for her. Look, no, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about the Women's T20 World Cup. Should be a really exciting tournament. Australia have shown that they are they are beatable in the warm-ups. Um, England have shown that they are also beatable by losing to Sri Lanka by 10 wickets. Mm. Which I know it's a warm-up, but that's a, a bit of a shocker, isn't it? It is, but it's also quite good for the, the tournament, I think. You know, I wrote probably inaccurately that half a dozen teams could lay claim to winning it. It's probably more likely four. Uh, but you know, in a 10-team tournament... Um, I would say around half at least can can feel like they're in with a scrap of getting to the the last four, last two. This is what the game desperately needs, yeah, you know, because the the tiers of women's cricket are quite stark, and and the more that it can be squeezed up, and the playing field in terms of quality can be reasonably levelled out, the the better for the game's future. Um, just in brackets, Thailand, Thailand women have made it through. It's a it's a stunning story. So you've probably written about this, I would imagine. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. But have you have you seen the clip with um, them New with Zealand the New Zealand team. side after their warm up? Yeah, in in a kind of um, Marlon Samuels speaking to like Papua New Guinea players yeah, yeah, from that, the that qualifier. Kind of vibe, yeah, that's so like quite you know quite nice, but also really strange, isn't it? You're just sort of. You're I about- saw a few people saying how patronising it was, but Harry Joseph, one of our team who's out there, said that wasn't at all the case. It was actually much more natural than that and it, it didn't come across as patronising if you were if you were there yeah it, it was lovely how how people can can question the, the motives of it is slightly odd yeah. i think uh but this is the problem when you film everything when you film everything and turn it turn everything into content then straight away people start to, to start to question its motives but anyway yeah if if thailand um i don't know if they can nick a win or even just just be be there towards the death of a game what a beautiful story that would be we haven't done your moment of the week yet, have we? Uh, no, so... It- <laughs> <laughs> do you have a moment of the week, Taha? I do, yeah. So it's basically been the MCC's tour of Pakistan. Yes. Um, spoke to Kumar Sangakara last week. That was Did a big you? moment for just, you, wasn't it? Just what I do now, Phil. Uh- <laughs> Misbah one week, Kumar <laughs> the next. To be honest, were you nervous? Uh, I was really nervous, yeah. but I was really happy with how cool I played it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> joked around with him. It's like just oh, thanks, Kumar. And and the content of the interview as well is that also good? Oh, uh, that yeah, that was not that, <laughs> that was good. that was all right too. Did, did you feel my? I used to go to column for him. Um, in, in an old magazine that we used to do. In fact, in the current magazine that we used to do, as well as an old magazine. Uh, and the crackly line from Sri Lanka when he used to talk to me used to sound like Winston Churchill on an old sort of Pathé News sort of... Did you get that impression when you were talking to he's him? He's just so... He's just a statesman, isn't exactly, he? Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah. The transcription was a breeze. Yeah. <laughs> the, the dramatic pauses, certainly as though he is addressing a nation yeah. uh, each time he's speaking to you, and um, which can't help but be slightly humbling. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, um, you wrote about it to her. Well, we, but should we do background on the tour itself? So MCC yeah. have taken a side out there, captained by Sangakara, who's also yeah. the MCC president these days, to play four games? Yeah, so they played four games. Um, but the first one was like the big one. So they played at Gaddafi Stadium, um, which, you know, 11 years ago, that's the stadium the Sri Lanka team were on their way to when, they were, uh, when that terror attack happened. Um, so Sangakara returned there for the first time. Um, and so they played it in front of 18,000 people, um, this is just a fixture with one of the PSL sides, Lahore, Colunders. Um, and, you know, I was watching it, the the MCC streamed it live, so I was watching it, but, you know, it wasn't really about the cricket. It was just a bit of a run-of-the-mill T20, but you could just see the cameras panning around to the, the fans. Shaheen Afridi is just walking around the boundary, nice. just taking selfies with everyone. And it was just, you know... It was just it was just great to great to see basically. It was interesting that um, in the piece you wrote, Ajmal Shazad, the old former England quick, who's now the MCC head coach, saying when he was putting this squad together for the tour, he's like, oh, God, am I going to be able to get the numbers together because we're not offering them much money at all? Really, it's just about expenses. Yeah. And then when he said he started making phone calls, everyone was up for it. Yeah, and it was just like you know, it's better than you know we're here at the Oval. It's pretty grim out here. You know, it's better than to just go to Pakistan. You know, nice, nice weather, experience something new and. You know, like he said, and it, it's the correct point that they're going to go down in history. Um, this is the, this doesn't happen very often, so and this is it's a big deal. Yeah, this is encouraging. I mean, basically, the tour was to re-emphasize Pakistan's return to the international fold, and and so far, so good, really. I mean, we had the tour against Sri Lanka. Sorry, Sri Lanka tour to Pakistan recently. Now this. The doors are open and everyone's welcome, and 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 the people are flooding through the doors. For that. Certainly, that last Test match uh, when Nazim took the hat trick. Yeah. Of course, Bangladesh have been there as well, haven't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In that game, and yeah, there were a lot of folks through the doors. Um, it had that that vibe and that atmosphere that that you crave, really. Um, yeah, it's the story of of the last last few years, really, for me. You know, and and hopefully, no more no more hiccups. And it can be normalised, and you know, once you see an England touring team touch down in Lahore, Karachi, that's when you'll really know. And same with Australia as well. India, maybe we'll have to wait. Uh, I mean, while we're on the subject of Pakistani cricket, a significantly less feel-good story came out this morning, which is that Umar Akmal, Pakistan's 29-year-old batsman, has been suspended by the Pakistan Cricket Board with immediate effect uh, for violation of its anti-corruption code. Now the PC. Haven't revealed any further details at this stage, um, but at a time of real positivity for Pakistani cricket, this is the story that they really didn't need, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> yeah. Even even when um, there was the sort of goodwill of the last week, that they came the news about South Africa, South Africa not touring because of player workload, as in that that will eventually happen. But mm. for, for now, the plan was initially that they were going to come in March, but that was not happening either. Um, so. Yeah, just especially uh, the PSL starting today. Uh, you know, the day we're speaking, um, and Umar Akul was going to play in that game for for Koita probably, um, and now he's out, and it's kind of he's had a the Umar Akmal story continues. Yeah, well, he's had an eventful <laughs> couple of weeks, hasn't he? Well, well, yeah. Didn't he reveal a little bit more than was strictly necessary after failing Apparently a fitness it was a misunderstanding. Test. Sure. Yeah. Where's the fat? The immortal line. Where's the yeah? Fat? He he disrobed. Um, yeah. But anyway, he got away. They warned him about his responsibilities but didn't punish him for that. But this time, he has been punished. He's unavailable for the foreseeable. Um, it's struck me a little bit odd that Pakistan have even returned to Umar Akmal in the first place. He's not got a particularly... Um, spotless record. Spotless record is a good <laughs> way of putting it. Uh, and his record as a batsman, he's obviously fantastically talented, but his record isn't so good that it demands selection. Uh, you spoke to Mizbah about this. Just recently, another, just another, just name, another drop. name drop. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So I was speaking to Mizza for the next issue of Wisden Creek Monthly, and um, and he was talking about picking um, Umar Akmal for the Sri Lanka 
T20Is, which was one of his first assignments. Um, and it was basically, he didn't so much to say it was about giving a clean slate, but his arguments were solely cricketing reasons in that. Um, I mean, everyone knows how good a player Umar Akmal is at the time. Um, Mohamed Afiz and Shoaib Malik were out of Pakistan squad and they, because they just weren't in good enough nick and needed players in form. And Umar Akmal had a pretty good PSL along with Ahmed Shazad, who's another player who's had a sort of tricky road, basically. Um, and so that was, th- those were purely the reasons for picking them. But, you know, obviously it didn't come off. And now here we are again with Umar Akmal. Um, anyway, that is uh, enough of the serious stuff. Um, now, time for some frivolous chat about cricket, um, which is obviously the stuff we all we all turn up for. Needed a jingle, that didn't it? Did yeah. maybe we can, we, can, we can have one in. Yaz, if you're like on the Adam and Joe a, show. Yeah, um, this actually came out of me misunderstanding Yaz's handover notes, but we both agreed it's better than what he originally planned. Anyway, so Phil Taha, the question which uh, we've also put to our followers on Twitter is. Which England players over the years have you been desperate to see succeed, but for whatever reason, it's just not quite happened? And a few people on Twitter have suggested people like James Hildreth, Chris Rusworth. What we're looking for here are people who did get a chance of England, but it didn't happen. Obviously, in the case of Hildreth and Rushworth, done amazing things in county cricket, but the chance has never come. So that's the sort of slightly blurry distinction we're going for yeah. here. Um, should I start with something we've got on social media? And then... Yeah, go for it. Okay. Um, we've got the mighty... Mighty G SR7, uh, who's gone with <laughs> David Milan, uh, obviously still has a chance to to come back. Toby Roden Jones, that's hard to hard to argue with, given the injury he got just for the last Ashes. Graham Onions, who crops up a couple of times here. Did did Onions not have some impact, albeit over a short period of well, time? Well, this is what respond but, James Chetwood, who actually was my first eleven captain at Sussex Uni, responded saying exactly, "Hello, James, if you're listening." Um, <laughs> uh, said exactly that he said well right. he, he did succeed but I, I think you can still he only played what nine test matches right okay. so I think you could still argue that yeah. however what he did in those test matches he didn't manage to to do exactly what, what he could have done yeah, really. um, yeah. okay uh, I have a couple from um, from the mighty uh, Mark Stoneman and James Foster um, and just another couple more Oscar Radcliffe came out of Oish Shah Plunkett Sajid Mahmood, Ajmal Shazad, we mentioned earlier. And David Tossel comes in with an Oe Shah, a bit more detail. Genius at the crease, but mismanaged horribly. 88 in India on debut and plays one more test in three years, wasting the peak years of his first-class career. It was Shah was an odd one, wasn't he? England, the 19 captain, known as the most talented batsman of his age in England. And it just never really fell into place, in, certainly in test cricket. Yeah, he had a, he had a run... Over a brief period of time in the ODI side and quite and, successfully for uh, a yeah, bit. this is it and pulled out one or two trees, made a brilliant ninety six, no, in fact, brilliant hundred here at the Oval. Same game that Mascarenas hit five That's six. The one, in a row, yeah, against India. Um, uh, yeah, Tossel's Tossel's bang on. He's also a very good good judge of of the game. Full stop, mm. David Tossel. But yeah, he's absolutely right. I remember that because I watched that that innings live. Did you see it as well, Joe? At the time, it was 06, wasn't it? Um, or was it no? O- no, later what in course. India? Yeah, no, well, I didn't see that at the time. Uh, he he got cramp. Do you remember this? Mm. So he got cramp. He was thirty odd, not out. Uh, and I remember the commentators really going quite hard at him, as if to say, "You can't get to this level and find that you know your your body's not quite right, and and you haven't sufficiently looked after yourself in the in the moment to." to ensure that you don't have to go off retired hurt with cramp. It just felt like a slightly kind of village juvenile way to to go through that first innings. Um, and I thought we got a lot of unfair criticism on the back of that. But the, clearly the subtext was uh, Oase was not particularly trusted by the, the, the top brass uh, as as a man to hang your hat on. He's no, He was known as a bit of a loose cannon, wasn't he? He had the Middlesex captaincy for less than a season yeah i think possibly yeah. and and it was peculiarly explained euphemistically that you know he, he basically wasn't mature enough to take on the job i thought with the cramp didn't he didn't he later say that he was tense and gripping the bat handle so hard that yeah. he gave himself cramp. yeah and i remember yeah. his the, the grip of the bat had ridden up so there was kind of only half a grip left on his back because he was just gripping it so hard uh but yeah a, a player of talent no doubt he came he played the first test match after that winter in England, and uh, he, he was unluckily he unluckily nicked off. I think he nicked off kind of off his shoulder of the bat or something like that. Uh, after everyone else had got runs, I think it was against West Indies, and he got none. 
and I think that was his last ever test match. And yeah, he slips into quite a quite a vast group of flighty, attractive, doomed, um, fragile middle order batsmen. There are quite a few that have come through give, here. Give us, give us a couple more. Well, another one who's who's come up a few times here is Mark Lathwell, the Somerset opener. Yeah. Hmm. No. I mean, he, he was obviously he was known as the kind of a prodigious talent who. No. Well, uh, he he was, but on the flimsiest of evidence, he made 130, and I remember this quite clearly, he made 130 out of about 200 in an early season game of that 93 season. Uh, Now, all right, that's a great innings at at any level. Um, And obviously he was opening at the time, and he went out there and he he smashed it. And it was an unusual innings because no one else got any runs that day. But that that was essentially it. That was the lightning rod moment. And... When England were 2-0 down, having played eight days of cricket and already losing the Ashes, he was brought in to open with Gooch. Now, there is a yin and yang pairing right there. Mm. Uh, and he was patently not really ready for it at all. And his career... And damaged for it, wasn't it? I mean, he left the game very early, just saying he didn't really enjoy it anymore. I think Indeed, the... yeah. I think he became a postman, actually. That might be wrong. <laughs> We'll that's one, that. that's we'll, one from the recesses. We'll check, we'll check that. We'll, we'll, we'll check that. Yeah, but but he was kind of harshly thrown into that that sort of great white hope role with, with next to no real evidence behind it. Um, a lot of players hadn't even really seen him as well, and he was not. From what I remember, people saying over the years, he wasn't really cut out for the cut and thrust of Test cricket. There was a rumor that he actually licked his plate clean. Um, well, in the Lord's dining room, uh, his, uh, in one of his. Seen so you do games. that before, Phil? Yeah, exactly. But I don't, I don't open for England, not yet. Anyway, uh, I'm, I'm in my own list. <laughs> God, all right. No, we'll, I'm not. We'll, we'll start. Anyway, with, he's not. He's not in my list, Joe. Uh, all right, Lathwell. I was going to Taha. Anyone you want to throw in into the mix here? I, I'm going to go quite kind of deep here. Oh. Um, we need so some music for this as well. <laughs> um, so I'm coming at this slightly differently. Um, so as as a Pakistani-born Brit. Um, growing up, I was always sort of desperate for players, basically players that looked like me, to to do well for England. Yeah. Um, so you know, Oe Shah, not not for the reasons that have been mentioned, but just because, just because I had this similar sort of background, that kind of that kind of thing appealed to me. So it was you know Oe mm-hmm. Shah, uh, Ajmal Shahzad, Bapara, Sam Patel. Bapara um, comes up quite a lot here actually yeah. as well, and and even to an extent Monty, because you kind of hope that after Swan retired that you know, Monty would go on and become England's finally become England's number one spinner again and that kind of vibe so those were the, the those were the guys that I really wanted to succeed and it's only in the last couple of years now that we have Mo and you know Adil Rashid who have really become not just they're not just bit part players they're they're, they're the main guys in the team um, and so that's that's meant a lot I guess yeah it's interesting that you mentioned um, Panasar, who would have taken, what, 120-odd test wickets, something like that. Um, I'll ramble and then look it up as we go, because I, I initially put... about 50 more, but yeah. I initially put Tufnell in my list, um, because I remember his his opening salvos as, a, as an international player, uh, and he had a similarly powerful impact, as did Panasar. Uh, 167 test wickets for Panasar. Really? Oh, I've, I've done him. I've, 50 done him tests. There. I mean, I'm not sure he qualifies for this list, really. I can, I can see he he perhaps didn't fulfil his talent. But yeah, it's pushed to include He's him. no Darren Maddy. I, I took Tuffers <laughs> out of my list in the end uh, because I just thought he had mo- taken 100 plus. He, he had his wickets. moments in the sun, didn't he? And I yeah. think this is, I think most people here are going for players that didn't even really get to that stage. I mean, there are a few. So Neil McGrath has picked out. James Vince, another who could come back. Hasib Hamid, a bit early to perhaps be writing him <laughs> off. Uh, Tom Wesley, mm-hmm. James Kirtley, obviously had a few decent moments but struggled with his action, got called a couple of times. Mm. Adam Lythe, who came through, had that brilliant 100 at Headingley and then disappeared after a, a Nash's series to forget. And then Alex Tudor, I think, ah, yeah, is a good geez. one. I mean, he obviously did have his, his couple of moments, uh, scored that 99, not out at Edge Baston. Yeah. Yeah, and Graham Thorpe denied him his. Uh, I think Alex Tudor said his, st- his family still hate Graham Thorpe for denying him his. his he he, his he only told me a story that, that Thorpe pulled up at some lights in London somewhere, and this car pulled up next to him, and everyone wound the window down and just started hurling abuse at him <laughs> the week after. Uh, 
Tudor would definitely have made my list if I'd remembered him. Absolutely. You know, tall, fast, lovable. Uh, did the business in Australia, briefly suggested that he, he would have some kind of future, but injuries absolutely kiboshed him. You know, great man and, and a big loss because he was unusual, I think, for that time. Was he, do you think he was mismanaged or just, oh, just unlucky? It's hard to say. Yeah. It? It's hard to know, really. Um, he would probably say no. Um, he's certainly not someone who's bitter about the game, is he, in the way that some other names that we no, might have mentioned in this no. list. In a similar similar vein, David Lawrence, Sid Lawrence. He, uh, he came up, actually. Did he? Um, yep, Mark TRFL. Uh, David Lawrence and Greg Thomas together, obviously two yeah. two quicks who uh, never quite made it. Greg Thomas was known as the, what, the fastest white bowler in the world for, for Zimbabwean. Um, or, yeah, I think it was Zimbabwean, not just South African. Yeah, yeah he played for Glamorgan for a few years. Um and uh, I think he played in 89 in that Ashes series. I think he played a game or two under Gower in that that series. Uh, but Sid Lawrence was was a, a travesty, really. He, he played at, he played at the Oval in 91 against West Indies. Um, I think it was his second game, got Viv out, albeit caught at longish mid-on. Um, and then went on that tour that winter to New Zealand, 91-2, and, and snapped his knee horrifically and was never the same again. I mean, that injury... Ugh. This, there's still footage. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching it, but I've, I don't think I've ever seen such a bad sports, a cricket injury like on the field at that moment. I mean, you could you can actually hear the the break, couldn't you? Indeed, because it was an empty ground, the fag end of a dead test match, and yet this this lad was tearing in, giving it his all, uh, and he slipped in his delivery stride, and 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 the the knee shot out, oh, and God. it was like a pistol crack around an empty, echoing uh, ground, and. Yeah, one of the worst, really. Uh, obviously, Simon Jones falls into that category as well. But then, but then, when you ask about legacy, you know, have you had those moments in the sun? Well, Jones said, maybe through slightly gritted teeth, famously, "I'd rather have played in that Ashes series than than have played eighty Test matches." Yeah, I'm not sure if that's entirely true, but you never know. I get uh, where he's coming from. The name that jumped out for me was another. Another quick boulder who suffered of injury, which is Dean Headley. I grew up just a few minutes from the St. Lawrence ground in Canterbury. Watched him a lot. Sunday league games, tearing in off this long run-up. Took loads of... I think the one year he took three hat-tricks in a first-class season, which I think is still a record. Uh, he was loved at Kent. Brilliant every season. Then got his England chance. Because I think he was on the books at Middlesex. Didn't quite work out for him. So it all happened a bit later than you might have expected. Um, and then he kind of ate Aussie left-handers for, for breakfast, didn't he, one one summer? And then took six for uh, Melbourne. To win that test match. To win that famous test match. Um, and then just back problems meant he, I think, so I've got his record here, 15 tests, 60 wickets at, at 28. Um, and again, retired relatively early. Mm. But, but was a bowler who I think he really could have been a really successful England fast bowler at that time. Yeah, he was a precursor to Hoggard. You know, ran in all day and had that late swinging away swinger and just hit that corridor. A bit quicker than Hoggard's? But this is, this is what I was yeah, coming to. I yeah. think he could have been a better bowler than Hoggard really? overall if he'd stayed fit because he was a bit bigger, a bit stronger. Took wickets in Australia, took, obviously, as you mentioned, in a way that, that Hoggy couldn't couldn't manage. Uh, but stylistically quite similar bowlers, I thought. And yeah, it's a very good one, Headley. I personally didn't ever have that personal connection with him, but... Those figures tell tell a story, you know. That's one. That's one that really got away. Again, another bowler who kind of, you could argue, he had his day in the sun. Definitely, um, Tremlett, I think, could have been. You know, he could have been one of the great England fast bowlers. Really, just how good he was in that series down under, and then the summer that followed for the first half, and then after that, there was just one injury, and then it kind of, the way he faded, and then when they brought him back for that Ashes was it was quite sad because. He was just—he just wasn't that bowler again, and he had all the attributes to be one but, of the. Although even that Ashes series, I think people kind of thought by then his chance had had gone. I mean, how old was he in the in the ten eleven Ashes? I can't remember because he'd emerged as a very young bowler, had his opportunities, got injured, faded away. So I think he almost had this kind of this in, Indian summary, if you like, that people didn't necessarily see coming. And then, but you're absolutely right. Then it disappeared again very, very quickly after that. Um, but he certainly had kind of. Bit like Steve Harmison, there's just everything there that a fast bowler could possibly want. Um, but those injury problems. Uh, he's now the biggest man in the world, I think. Have you seen pictures of him? It's you imagine him trying to bowl now. <laughs> We'd better get his arm past no the chance. Perpendicular. It looks ridiculous. No chance. 
Um, Michael Cooper, who I think might be he did work experience with us a little while. It's the same boy, Michael yeah. Cooper and Rob McGregor uh, went for Chris Reed. Right, uh, certainly the kind of loved by county fans, not so much by Duncan Fletcher. Yeah, it's fair to say. Yeah, um, up there with James Foster as the best always, keeper of his generation. But I, I always thought his bat looked too big for him when he played for England. Um, Everything looked a bit too, but like his mm. pads looked really big for mm. him as well. Um, I, so my list is long, and I'm not going to read it through because you haven't allowed me to. Uh, but <laughs> try as I might to summon some emotion for a wicketkeeper, I couldn't. So there is no keeper. What you just don't see them as as human, or <laughs> I, I wouldn't say they're subhuman, Joe. In, in my head, I'm just wondering why their role means that you can't have any kind of sympathy for them. I don't know. I, ju- I don't know the answer, but I would be lying if I said that I. Even James ever... Foster, your your mate, your mate Fozzie. Yeah, but I knew I knew him. I know him as a from when we were kids. Uh, the, did I desperately want Jimmy Foster to get back in the team after he'd had an Ashes series? I thought, all right, mate, you know that's probably enough. You don't need to be too successful. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's the old Morrissey line. You, you know, you hate it when your friends become become successful. Well, it gives you a few more stories, though, doesn't it? So. True, true, true. <laughs> no, I'd be lying. You know, if I said I was I was ever that passionate about Chris Reid's chances in the England side, or or you know whether Garant Jones could catch a few more or make make a few more relevant runs down the pipe. I I just don't have that connection with wicketkeepers. So it's why the whole Ben Folks conversation. You know, it swells around, but I can't quite get my way into it. Uh, but this is a failing in me, obviously. It's what I, things I don't understand. I just instinctively <laughs> just dismiss. <laughs> so wiki keeping off. All right. So who who can you have some sort of sympathy for? Batsman, uh, <laughs> batsman. Wayne Larkins, Wayne Larkins, Michael Carberry, Tom Wesley, John Crawley in capital letters. He got mentioned by. Let me pick out a name here. Um, Dom Ashton picked right. out John Crawley along with Matthew Maynard as again. Right. Me and me and Dom, Dom or John, Dom, Dom. Yeah, me and Dom on the same page on that one. James Vince, Ravi, obviously. Uh, Oase was in my list. Chris Lewis, thirty-two tests and fifty-three ODIs for a player of that kind of talent. Uh, Adil Rashid in my test head is in there. Yeah, he's a player that I was desperate to do well at test level. Um, we still, I still don't think that we fully know either. It was interesting. Bumble sent a tweet. Uh, in the midst of the of the series just gone, saying Adil Rashid is is the bowler that we need in Sri Lanka in that Test series uh, and in India as well. Uh, I'm not sure he agrees though. That's the, he's just signed a no, white, ball, white ball contract with Yorkshire, hasn't he? Indeed. Uh, Peter Such, my first batting coach. Now this falls Peter into Such the was your batting coach. My first batting coach <laughs> got me in the Essex team as a as an 11 year old and famously perhaps the worst batsman to ever. Mm. Chris Martin accepted to play test cricket. Uh, draw your own conclusions, I suppose. Uh, but he played 11 tests, did Screaming Pete such, and um, arguably there were 11 more tests than many people thought he was going to play. Certainly I thought that when he was playing for Essex Twos and coaching me, but I was so thrilled to see him make that debut against Australia, Old Trafford, 1993, and he took six for on day one glorious scenes beautiful scenes and it never got any better than that uh, so he's in my list because I was so so desperate for him to, to play a little bit more uh, and then a few more Ali Brown obviously Stephen oh, Davis a good one. obviously Ed Joyce as well I always had a soft spot for Ed Joyce I think Ed Joyce could have made made something of test cricket his record and ODI cricket for Sussex over many seasons was extraordinary he made 100 at Brisbane in an ODI against Australia and that was pretty much his only moment in an England kit and it was but it was an odd one because I've always thought of him as a much better long format player than a ODI player but it was ODIs that he got his chance I mean it was around that it was around the 2005 Ashes that he'd have been at his peak but there was actually quite a lot of English batsmen scoring a lot of runs at that point yeah one of those that the time just didn't quite work out for him yeah um, just going back briefly to Crawley and then I'll shut up mm. I saw his debut at Lords in 94 against South Africa and he came into that that summer, as the the hot new, young thing in English cricket, he'd made a brilliant hundred the year before for England A team, as it was then against Warren. Um, and Warren said he was the best player of spin that he bowled to that that summer. And he'd broken all records for Lancashire and and schools cricket as well. And he came came into that side and he made two single figure scores in that first Test match against Donald. Um, uh, although I remember the two scoring shots he got off off the mark to the first two fours he hit, both stunning through mid wicket, you know, f- 
braced front leg, all wrists. And he was godlike through mid-wicket, but he was found out a little bit with that ball outside off stump. But he is a player whose record shows, I think, that if he'd been trusted a little bit more, if he'd played in a little in a different era, uh, he had the components to be a, a really good player. His his record against spin is excellent. Well, he got 100 here against Murley in that test, didn't he? Was it 100? He got an unbeaten 156 here against yeah. Murley in 98. Yeah. Um, his record in Australia... From a smallish sample size, he's not bad. He made he made a couple of good fifties in that ninety four five tour when Warren was unstoppable. Uh, he he played in ninety seven against Australia. Remember that series when England won that first test, mm. and then it all fell away after that. And he would have been about twenty seven, twenty eight, I guess, around that time. So theoretically, in his prime. But he came up against that team, and I looked it up because I had this memory. His First innings results were poor. One, single-figure scores across four test matches. But his second innings results were very good, including an 83 against Warren at Old Trafford when it was turning big in the fourth innings. Uh, and there were moments through his record that suggested that he had the game to, to have been a far more successful international player. Uh, but he was quite sensitive bloke. Um, wasn't the fittest of fellas. Uh, he had issues around around his fitness. Um, he liked to fag. That was another reason why you know, I was always in his camp. Uh, and an interesting interesting character, yeah, Cambridge grad and and good bloke. I've interviewed him a couple of times since since it all stopped. Uh, and an interesting fella, but one that really got away, I think, for England. So I was speaking to David English the other day, who runs the Bunbury Festival. Uh, so it's the best players of under fifteen age group across the country every year since 1986. I think they've been doing this. I asked him, who's the most talented player you've seen across all that time? He said John Crawley straight away. Really? It was the first name he mentioned, yeah. He had real style as well. Mm. Yeah, real stylist of a player. Um, anyway, obviously I could go on all day, but I think... <laughs> well, I had another one. It's a bit... I wouldn't actually say he is one of my favourite players, but just in terms of the career he had and the lack of opportunity for England, uh, Glenn Chappell's got to be around there as well. He took 985 first-class wickets, Played one ODI for England, bowled 24 balls and then went off injured <laughs> and was constantly the next seamer in. I think he was in a couple of test squads, never got his chance. I mean, I know people in Lancashire think this is a, a, a kind of vast, vastly unfair and I think they're probably right on that, really. I mean, his record is extraordinary. You think it of at least... It's amazing if you think some of the England seamers that have got games over the years, yet Chapel never played a test match. And also, he was a bit nippier and quicker in his youth, he wasn't... Yeah, I mean, obviously later on he became more of your sort of Darren Stevens sort of speed. Um, but early on he was he was fast, medium, just. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bicknell's another one, although he was probably three or four mile an hour too slow for that level. But again, if you look at his first class record versus the number of test match chances that he, he received, he took over a thousand wickets for Surrey and yet played, I think, four test matches, top of my head, something like that. Plenty of stories similar to to those those really. Steve Finn, Steve Finn, yeah. Kind of strange seeing him this winter doing, you know, punditry. Very really. well, he's an excellent. Well, very well, but yeah, he should still be bowling fast really. for England, really. Yeah. And then you go through the the list of the all time great strike rates uh, in Test cricket, and if you know, run down that list on that first page, and there is Finn's name. And I just, I mean, he didn't get a hundred contract this summer. I mean. And he was, for a while, he was England's best one-day bowler, I thought, as well. He had a really good series out in India yeah, a few yeah. years 2013, ago. 2013, that kind of period, I think, Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and it's all kind of obviously disappeared quite quickly. It doesn't It's not like he takes a stack of wickets in county cricket either. Uh, uh, Ali Brown, it's still the biggest shocker, select, selectorial shocker of my time following England, I think that he he was consistently overlooked despite being far and away the most destructive one-day batsman in the country. Baffling, utterly baffling. He made two double hundreds. Two double hundreds in domestic cricket. 264 he made in one innings. No, 268, sorry. I've done him out of four. And it wasn't that he was just a county slogger, was it? I mean, he, he was a... Pro- I mean, no, he, he, he whacked it. He, he averaged 40-odd prop- in first-class cricket. Yeah, average 40-odd in first-class cricket. He played, I think, 13 games for England, something like that. I'm throwing some numbers out here without really... <laughs> wildly. <laughs> but it was, it was something wildly. like that. It was in the low teens, I he got think. One, he got he 100. Made a, made 100, exactly. He got 100, didn't he? Made 100. 
against uh, India and he made a really good 38, I think it was, on his debut in, in tricky conditions against South Africa, which I've spoken to him about and he says I couldn't have played much better. And he showed that he had a technique as well uh, as, as a hitting game and yet they just overlooked him. Another couple that we mentioned, uh, Lokash Patel, Mark Ramprakash. I mean, it's hard to hard to say no, that's that one. I think if we're picking 11, he's got to be in there. Uh, and Brian Henderson, boss of Sky Cricket, uh, says his, his colleague, Rob Key, uh, which I'd, I'd agree with that one. Yeah, yeah, Keyzy. Enough promising moments to think there was a real test career in there and it never never quite happens. I think maybe his he was known as a bit, bit of a boozer. Like to fag as well. I'm not sure that necessarily helped him at that time with with Duncan Fletcher. Um, but also, again, there were a lot of batsmen scoring a lot of runs in county cricket at the time in a way that there just aren't now for for various reasons. Yeah, you're probably right. Actually, the timing of it wouldn't have worked out for Key. He, he was he very made... much in select in the minds of selectors for 2009 when Trot got the call. It was kind of Trot. Uh, Ramprakash or Key that were being discussed at that time and, and Trot was obviously the only one that hadn't played Test cricket yeah. and, got, and got the nod yeah just thinking about those early years so he played in South Africa before the Ashes didn't he he played in that early 05 series and and made a decent 80 odd in the second innings or the first innings at um, at Joburg but not much else either side of that and then that summer came round and, and it wasn't his go but the previous summer against West Indies made the double obviously at Lord's but he made an unbeaten 90 the following test match at Old Trafford. And it looked then, albeit it was against the team down on its luck in, in the West Indies, it looked then like England may have found one, found the number three to do the job. Um, a year on and, you know, that that kind of seismic moment of the 05 Ashes and he wasn't wasn't in the mix. But yeah, I can see that. I can certainly see that. I think that's a fair shout. Well, I think we've... Have I said everyone... Uh, Foxy Phil, is that your alter ego on Twitter, Phil? Uh, he, said Darren, he said Darren Maddy, so it's unlikely to have been you, I'd have thought. Um, and our own our own Jim Wallace, Simon Smudge Brown, Durham left armour, one test match, I think. Yeah. Um, he is the only person to have said Simon Brown in, in this list. That's why he's written it, because he was yeah, banking on that. Yeah, yeah, a moustachioed left arm bean pole. What's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny? <laughs> just a nice sequence of words. Um, <laughs> Taha, any... Any late suggestions before we call this done? No, you're just mentioning names that you know played before I was born, so I'm <laughs> kind of struggling. You're kind of out of your, out of your comfort zone here, yeah. aren't you? <laughs> but anyway, we did your stuff earlier on, so that's Is fine. That, yeah. And if you if you want another if you want twenty minutes on Wayne Larkins, or should we call this? Well, one I think we'll do that as a special rather than uh, tag it onto this one. Okie dokie. Um, so I think I reckon it would be nice if we did come up with an eleven, but obviously we can't. Not let's not do it now. Um, but I think we go away. Keep your suggestions coming in. Over the ne- course of the next week, we'll come up with an 11 and reveal it on next week's show. How about that? All right, done. Sounds good. All right. Uh, so next week, we'll be discussing the first week of the Women's T20 World Cup and looking back on the first test between New Zealand and India in Wellington. Um, thanks as ever for listening. Remember to subscribe through the usual podcast apps if you've not already. And if you've liked what you've heard, don't be afraid to leave us a five-star review. Podcast Network.